Welcome to the December 6th edition of Eye on the Triangle. I'm your co-host this week, Nick Savage. And I'm Jake Langlois. It's finals week here at NC State, and we know how busy you are, so we thank you for tuning in. This week, Jay Tomlin interviewed the vice president of the Young Americans for Liberty here on campus. Jake has some thoughts on the library during this very busy week. And Mark Herring has some interesting facts about the North Carolina Christmas tree economy. In addition, Chris Chaffee brings us a quick gardening minute. And as always, Nick and Dave return with This Week in History. But first, the weather. How's it looking, Katie? Well, Nick, lately we have been on a weather roller coaster. One minute it feels like winter, and the next minute it feels like spring. Today we were once again hit with unseasonably warm temperatures for this time of year. Today we peaked into the lower 70s, and tonight we will continue to stay warm with a comfortable low of 60 degrees. Rain will move in by later this evening, so be sure to keep an umbrella handy if planning on heading out to dinner tonight. Rain will continue into tomorrow, and it will be slightly cooler than it was today with a high of around 63. By tomorrow evening, temperatures will drop off rapidly as we dip down into the lower 40s. Rain will taper off by Thursday morning, making way for mostly sunny skies, but it will be much cooler with a high of only 54 degrees. Thursday evening will be very cold with below freezing temperatures, so be sure to really bundle up in your winter coat, gloves, and scarf if planning on heading out downtown Thursday evening. Friday, we will see a high of around 53 once again, with mostly sunny skies and a low of 34. Now we have a very chilly weekend in store for us with highs only in the upper 40s and lows in the upper 20s. So, Nick, I know it was especially pleasant and warm today, but it is about to finally start feeling like winter since much cooler temperatures are on the way. Well, thank you, Katie. It certainly looks like winter's on the way. You're welcome. This week, Jay Tomlin sat down with Brady Namath, a vice president for the Student Libertarian Group here on campus, to find out a little more about who they are and what they represent. For those of you who may or may not know, there is a plethora of organizations at North Carolina State University. One of these clubs, Young Americans for Liberty, is gearing up as the next presidential election approaches. I sat down with the club president, Brady Namath, to discuss and gain insight about the club. What does Young Americans for Liberty promote? Uh, well, we're a quote-unquote small L libertarian activism group, so we we kind of try to focus on those issues, whether it be uh, things dealing with economic freedom, social freedom, and generally we're also pretty non-interventionist uh, as far as foreign policy goes. So we do uh, different activities on campus to try to promote those ideas. What would you say is unique about the club? Uh, well, a lot of other groups, including we actually have a sister organization, not on NC State's campus, but uh, but nationally called Students for Liberty. And they're more kind of the academic side of things. You know, they'll bring in speakers, which we do as well. But we really try to bring these ideas out to the camp- general campus population rather than uh, just trying to sit back and, and uh, educate from the, the classroom perspective. What events has the club done in the past and what events does the club plan to do in the future? Uh, one of the big ones we did this year was uh, an event out on the Brickyard called O Equals W, which was basically we're out there just pretty much comparing George Bush to, uh, to President Obama uh, because they're far more similar than most people would think. So basically we had a, a small questionnaire and we, we'd film people, uh, give them five questions and say Obama or Bush. And then the sort of catch at the end was that all five of them, the answers to all five was both. Uh, and then we'd, we'd hand them a sheet with some information and uh, so hopefully that opened up their eyes a little bit. We also had a, uh, a massive debt clock. So it was probably, I don't know, 50 feet long, big uh, big plywood debt clock. Uh, try to just get people to realize just how big $14 trillion is. Or actually, I think it's over $15 trillion of debt now. And, and so we, we sort of do things like that. Usually our events are things out on the brickyard where there's quite a few, you know, a couple thousand people a day passing by. 
Uh, as far as the future, you know, the semester is winding down, but we're we're going to do be doing one more thing called Choose Charity because obviously, as a libertarian organization, we do uh, we do believe in free markets, and a lot, large part of that is charity. So, uh, you know, voluntary charity. So uh, we'll be taking a group of people out to a charity in the area, and not we haven't quite decided where, but um, looking forward to that as well. What do you plan to do differently for the next presidential election than you did for the last presidential election? Well, as, as a because of our tax status, we can't directly endorse candidates or do anything like that. But uh, you know, a lot of our a lot of the members in our club do you know go out and work for whatever candidate of their choice. So we're going to continue to promote the ideas of liberty and free markets and, and everything like that. I mean, we're not really out there to go and say, hey, people, you know, vote like this, you know, vote for this person. So we really just want to inform people and and try to uh, wake them up, so to speak, to the ideas of uh, liberty. When President Obama visited earlier this semester, what did Young Americans for Liberty do? Uh, Well, we kind of staged somewhat of a a counter protest. You know, we're all about peaceful protesting, not, uh, not about banging drums and all that sort of stuff. But what we did, we actually stole an idea from the YEL group at University of Wisconsin at Madison, uh, where they had previously had President Obama come and speak, where they kind of made a parody program. Uh, so we did the same thing, just listing out some of the main uh, main points that we found objectionable, not only to what he was speaking on that day at Reynolds, but also just some of his, his policies in general, or more important promises that, that he had broken, things like Guantanamo Bay and other things like that. So we just kind of got out there, handed out those. I think we ended up handing out about 1,600 of them, which was great. The reaction was very, very positive from a lot of people. We also were out there uh, holding up signs and whatnot, but our, our main focus that day was was handing out the uh, the fake programs, which which went really without a hitch. There were a few a few supporters who weren't too happy with it uh, with what we were doing, but it's part of uh, it's part of protesting, I guess. Thanks, Brady, for coming out and answering questions about Young Americans for Liberty. Yeah, thanks for having me. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Jay Tomblin. As finals week approaches, students flock to the library in a semi-annual ritual in preparation for exams. Jake takes a moment to consider the important role this building plays in students' academic pursuits. Do you recognize this familiar hotspot on campus? This is the sound of the library. As you may have noticed, the library always seems to become enormously popular around this time of year. You always know the exact moment when you walk into the library because the wind dies down and noise seems to reverberate in all directions. But go up into the stacks and suddenly noise seems to become absorbed into the endless corridors of books, a veritable Pandora's box of knowledge just waiting to be discovered. Walking through the book stacks, time seems to come to a standstill. And here's the thing, it's deadly quiet. Everywhere you look, there are students with their noses in books, furiously trying to force everything into their heads before the clock runs out. Everyone is desperately trying to hang on for one more week, the hell right before the sweet release of Christmas break. This building will empty out after exams, and it will be there, ready to welcome us back in January, as students struggle back for another productive semester in the pursuit of that most of abstract goals, knowledge. But for now, the library has become something of a second home to thousands of NC State students. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, students can be found deep in a book or absorbed in a computer screen or even getting a few hours of sleep, a precious commodity in desperately short supply during finals week. It's all anybody can do to get in those last few hours of studying before a big final. 
or stay up into the wee hours of the morning, finishing that massive paper that probably should have been started a few weeks ago. And yet we do anyway, knowing that all the fatigue, all the hours spent in the library, all the stress and all the worry will be worth it in the end. For On the Triangle, I'm Jake Langlois, 88.1 WKNC. The Christmas tree has been a staple of the holiday season for generations. But have you ever wondered where exactly that tree in your living room actually came from? Chances are good it came from right here in this state. Our contributor, Mark Herring, set out to find out more about this big industry here in the Tar Heel State. Western North Carolina has been historically known for not being the most suitable place for agriculture. But in the 1700s, Scottish botanist John Fraser found the North Carolina mountains to be ideal for the cultivation of the Fraser fir, more commonly known as the Christmas tree. This industry is worth more than $100 million to the North Carolina economy, according to the NC State Cooperative and Extension Program. North Carolina, after Oregon, is the largest Christmas tree producer in the United States. 35 million Christmas trees are displayed every year in American homes, so that means a lot of farming. I talked to Andy Cheek from a farm in Nash County. He's at the Raleigh Farmer's Market off of Centennial Boulevard to sell the trees from his farm. We cut trees usually at least weekly, if not twice a week, and we'll bring down small loads each week that we're here uh, to keep our lots stocked up. And we have an idea from the past records how many to bring each week, and we kind of plan by that. Is this the primary product coming out of Ash County? Uh, yes, definitely. Okay. What's it like when you're having to think about projections for the future? Is it pretty constant, the rate at which you're planting and harvesting, or is it increasing? Uh, right now we're increasing every year. Our sales are increasing, and we're, you know, we plant according to our sales. So we're, you know, both are increasing right now. We're actually still buying trees from other growers to supply our market. So, uh, you know, it's still growing right now. So hopefully it'll keep keep that way. According to farmer Virgil Bayer, the reason why production is still increasing in rough economic times is because people still spend a lot of money during the holidays. Christmas, uh, people spend money at Christmas if they ain't got the money. Though November and December are the peak times in the Christmas tree season, it takes up to five to seven years to grow a mature tree to put on the market. That's a lot of work for Farmer Andy. He says it pays off, though. You know, we enjoy it. We enjoy a family walking out of here with a tree and they're smiling. They take it home and all the good stuff that comes with it, you know, even with uh, the religious part of the holiday along with, uh, you know, the giving and the, and the spirit. Yeah, that's, uh, that's part of what makes it fun. You can find Farmer Andy with Goss Nursery and plenty of other Christmas tree farmers at the North Carolina Farmers Market in Raleigh at the corner of Centennial Boulevard and Lake Wheeler Road. From Eye on the Triangle, I am Mark Herring. And now we bring you some of the benefits of gardening, even in an urban environment. Growing a garden can be difficult, especially if a yardless dorm or apartment is where you call home. However, just because you don't have a yard doesn't mean plants can't become a daily part of your life. In fact, growing plants has a positive effect on a person's health and well-being. According to a study at the University of Nevada's Cooperative Extension, people who grew houseplants were happier, exhibited lower stress levels, and had reduced levels of indoor air pollution in their homes. While some people think growing plants can be expensive and hard, it's actually cheap and easy. All that's required is soil, a pot, and a few seeds. Now, deciding what to grow is a crucial part of the dorm garden. Since it's almost winter, the best plants to grow right now are herbs, such as basil, cilantro, parsley, or chives. You can also grow some flowering plants, 
such as wildflowers, bluebells, or geraniums. If you go to a local seed store or look online, you shouldn't expect to pay more than a few dollars per seed package. A package usually contains enough seeds for many pots, so what I like to do is buy several packages with my pals and then we trade around. We all get a variety of seeds and we only have to buy one package per person. Preparing a pot is pretty easy too. A pot can be made from any receptacle that will hold soil and plants. One of the easiest things to do is take a cup or some sort of reusable plastic container and cut several holes in the bottom to ensure proper drainage. Getting soil is pretty easy too. If you only need a little bit of soil, you can get some from like the bank of a stream or the edge of a field, or you can go buy some potting soil while you're at the seed store. Reading the back of the seed package should give exact directions on what depth seeds should be planted and how much water they need. That's one of the more important things to remember when planting. If you plant your seeds too deep, they won't sprout. But if you plant them too shallow, their roots won't be able to anchor themselves effectively. By following the proper steps on your seed package, there should be little doubt that the seedlings will soon emerge from a properly prepared pot. Upkeep on your seedlings is pretty easy too, and it only takes two minutes a day. Placing the seedlings on a sunny windowsill is really all they need, and keeping the soil moist makes sure their roots grow healthy and strong. Now sometimes when you have a young plant, it'll start reaching towards the window. So what you can do to make sure your stem grows straight is you just rotate the pot about 180 degrees every week or so. Donating a few minutes of time to your dorm garden every day is all it takes to grow fresh herbs or pretty flowers all winter, and it doesn't take much work. You will be the envy of all your friends. Your days will be brighter, your air will be cleaner, and your windowsill will be tastier. So don't wait. Start planning your dorm garden today. For today's Gardening Minute, I'm Chris Chaffee. And of course, who could forget Nick and Dave with the, with this, with the last This Week in History of the Year? Hello, and welcome to This Week in History. I'm Nick. And I'm Dave. This week in 1789, the North Carolina General Assembly chartered the University of North Carolina, which now consists of 17 public schools, including NC State University. Back in 1851, the first YMCA in North America was established. The organization began in London seven years before and now operates in 124 countries, engaging 45 million people. In 1865, the 13th Amendment was ratified. The amendment abolished slavery and was the first of the Reconstruction Amendments. This week, in 1877, the first edition of the Washington Post was published. The newspaper is D.C.'s largest and oldest still-running paper and is famous for leading the media into Watergate and for garnering 47 Pulitzer Prizes. In 1884, the Washington Monument was completed. The obelisk is dedicated to George Washington and is the world's tallest obelisk. It was recently damaged in the August 23rd earthquake that rattled the East Coast. Also in 1884, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn was first published. Mark Twain's book is slightly controversial due to its frequent use of racial slurs and is considered a great American novel. In 1906, President Theodore Roosevelt won the Nobel Peace Prize. His work in negotiating the end of the Russo-Japanese War earned him the award, and he became the first American to win a Nobel Prize. In 1941, Pearl Harbor was attacked. The Imperial Japanese Navy attacked the U.S. Pacific Fleet, killing 2,003 people and sparking the U.S. involvement in World War II. Back in 1979, the eradication of smallpox virus was certified. In 1980, John Lennon was assassinated outside the Dakota Apartment Building in New York City by Mark David Chapman. In 2000, the U.S. Supreme Court released its decision in Bush v. Gore. The ruling determined that Bush in fact won the 2000 Electoral College vote and thus the presidential election. In 2008, Bernie Madoff was arrested on charges of securities fraud. His Ponzi scheme is estimated to have robbed investors of $18 billion, and he is incarcerated for life at the Federal Correctional Complex in Butner, North Carolina. Let's do some birthdays. In 1851, American librarian Melville Dewey, famous for the Dewey Decimal System, was born. In 1915, Frank Sinatra, American singer and actor, was born. 
Bob Barker, famous for hosting The Price is Right, was born this week in 1923. Sammy Davis Jr., American actor and singer, was born this week in 1925. Actor John Malkovich was born this week in 1953. In 1956, Rod Blagojevich, 40th governor of Illinois, was born. In 1957, actor and singer Donny Osmond was born. Kenneth Branagh, Northern Irish actor and director, was born this week in 1960. Rapper and singer-songwriter Nicki Minaj was born this week in 1982. Well, that's all the knowledge we've got for you this week. I'm Nick. And I'm Dave. Thanks for listening, and keep it historical, Raleigh. That wraps it up for this week. I want to thank all the contributors who helped make this show possible. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash wknc.eot or follow us on Twitter at wknc underscore eot. And as always, you can follow our blog and listen to our weekly podcasts at wknc.org slash eot. Next week will be our best of show for the semester, same time, same place, here on w- on 88.1 WKNC. Until next week, I'm Nick. And I'm Jake. And I'm Chris Chaffee. Good night. Good night.